everybody to another episode of Small Council Radio. On tonight's show, we will be talking about Baratheons, the vision in the flames, all the reveals that were discussed on there. Uh, I believe it's mostly just tactics cards, unlike some of the other reveals. But we will also be going over the leaked uh, Kingsman card that we had seen, the physical card out there. Um, just a very, very quick, brief uh, uh, mention about it. I know that pretty much everyone now has heard about the entirely leaked files. Um, we're not going to be discussing that on this uh, episode, and I believe we're probably not going to discuss anything on those files uh, for a couple of reasons, but uh, we We'll probably be doing a bonus episode to kind of talk about all that stuff. That way, those that are kind of interested in our take on it can go listen to that episode uh, once we do it, uh, probably in the next couple of days. And um, those that could probably care less can, you know, they don't uh, have to listen to that one. But for tonight's show, we will be discussing the Baratheons finally. I know uh, when they first uh, dropped the article, I wanted to wait for more uh tactics cards be revealed so that we can properly judge the faction because there was a lot of mixed reviews on this one. There's a lot of people saying that the cards absolutely sucked. There's a lot of people saying they were amazing. There's a lot of people kind of like middle of the road, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, seeing the upsides and downsides to both. <laughs> so it, now that we've seen every faction's uh, tactics cards, uh, as far as their main deck and then some some commanders, uh, we could probably judge this uh, faction better than most now. Um, uh, you know, purely from a tactics point, uh, tactics card point. But uh, before we jump into all that, we do have on two special guests uh, that I will have introduce themselves: Tony and Joe. Uh, Tony, why don't you go first? Hi, I'm Tony Wyckoff. So, uh, Tony, how did uh, you get into uh, mini wargaming? Um, you know, for years, I've always kind of admired it at a distance. Um, never really could afford to get into it until more recently, a few years ago. I saw this on Kickstarter, and I bought it mainly to paint the miniatures, and I played a game of it, and I kind of just fell in love with it. And it's been my first war game, and I really haven't changed. That's awesome. Yeah, there's actually been quite a few people where this is their first war game. And uh, in my opinion, it's it's an amazing first war game. Uh, you know, coming from a background where I've played so many different, you know, many war games that there's so many good ones out there. But finding one that's like uh, beginner friendly to someone that's new to the hobby is not that, you know, it's not something that you can find that often. So, yeah, no, definitely, uh, I agree. Yeah, it, I mean, not having to build the models. I mean, there's nothing wrong with building your own models. I love build, the building aspect more than I like the painting. But sometimes when you just want to get your models on the table, and if you know, you know, because I play Age of Sigmar, Conquest, 40K, uh, and Ice and Fire, and knowing that one of my uh, hobbies doesn't require building is just kind of, you know, one of those steps that, you know, you, I can get uh, the enjoyment of building from my other hobbies. This one, I'm just like, okay, pull it out of the box, get prime it, get it right, you know, ready to paint. 
Um, it's so much easier for me that uh, because they're already built, I just take everything out of the box. I uh, uh, dremel um, out the bottom, or so I dremel sand the bottoms so that it's flat, slap some magnets on real quick, prime them real quick, and then that way, even though I, I might not be painting them anytime soon, everything I own is already magnetized and primed and ready to go. Whereas for another, you know, uh, hobby, it, it might take a while, you know, just the building part, whereas now I can kind of focus on other things and then go to my other hobbies to, to build there. Yeah, I couldn't uh, agree more, then, honestly. Yeah, and, and that's the other, like, the other nice thing about, like, big events, like, I, for beginners, you just be like, hey, you know, uh, I'm, after seeing uh, the awesome beginners event that, uh, uh, Ohio did. Uh, Brett, do you know the name of the store? I forget it. Gamers Haven. Gamers Haven. They just did a beginner's tournament, uh, 30 points, and it was a big hit. I'm thinking about something similar sometime soon. And, you know, even going as far as, you know, uh, whoever, you know, if you're a new person, you know, I'll purchase your entry fee uh, because the way our shop does it, uh, entry fee is just uh, in-store purchase uh, of $15 or more. And then on top of that, they put $10 credit into the prize pool. So it's almost like as long as you purchase something, it's like free entry. But, heck, I'll I'll do the, you know, I'll purchase like $150 of stuff and just buy everyone's entry if I have to. And, uh, and that way we still have a bunch of prize support in the pool um, just to get new people. But, you know, my point being is, you know, newer people, they can just, you know, buy a starter right off the wall and then jump right into the game. Uh, you know, no pressure to, like, paint your stuff. You know, if you do, that's awesome. I've seen some beautiful armies, but if you don't, I mean, you know, you can play the game with just as much enjoyment. And then, uh, Joe, how about uh, how about you? Hi, I'm Joe Wall. Uh, I've been pretty active on the Facebook group for a while now, uh, and thanks so much for having me back. It's been a little over a year, amazingly enough, uh, since I was on the show when we did the first uh, Baratheon reveal. So that was like March of of 2020, so here we are now. Uh, here we are now, uh, April 2021, and I'm back to talk about the, the stags again. So um, it's always been my preferred faction. I have been doing the hobby stuff for about probably about 15 years, uh, makes me feel kind of old, but 15 years now, and, you know, I started with Warhammer Fantasy, like, way back when. I was probably, what, seventh grade or something like that, and, you know, I just stuck with with the hobby. It wasn't a fad for me. I've just carried it through, you know, as I've gotten older, and, you know, from Warhammer to 40,000, a little bit of Battlefleet Gothic, some of the GW stuff, and then more recently, um, you know, my brother-in-law got me into Armada because he wanted to play a space game, so Star Wars Armada, and then the Game of Thrones thing, you know, the show is a phenomenon. Then I read most of the books, and I got into the show and into the characters. And then along came the game, like, was it 2017 or 2018? I was introduced to it in 2018 by uh, Mark LaMontagne, who's the moderator of the New England uh, a Song of Ice and Fire group. And he showed me the models, and I was like, I don't know. I kind of didn't want to bring on. I had, I had dystopian wars. Some of you might remember that. Uh, fantasy Victorian oh. <laughs> theme yep. maple game that kind of came and went. It had a great community while it lasted, but kind of came to a revival soon. But anyway, um, 
that was kind of what I was doing, and that was kind of tapering off. So along came Game of Thrones, or Song of Ice and Fire, rather. And, you know, at that time, there was just Starks and Lannisters. And so I wasn't really keen. Uh, the models looked great. He's showing me the rules. He's telling me about it. And I'm like, ah, maybe one day. If they come out with the Baratheons, then I pro- I'll get into it. I'll do it. I-, I promise you. And so, you know, a year later, maybe less than, he sends me some pictures, uh, you know, over a text of a bunch of, you know, Baratheon cards. And I'm like, okay, that's it. Um, I'll give this a go. I'm into them enough to, I'm a big enough fan. And sure enough, here we are. And I just can't believe, what are we at? Seven factions now for the game. And I, I honestly didn't think it would might, it would make it this long, but I'm glad it has. And now I've just been kind of committed to this faction as promised and just following along along the way, getting, uh, um, trying to get things going on the Baratheon group, Facebook group specifically, and had a good rapport with uh, with Tony. So it's glad to hear glad to hear that Tony's on the show too. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and it's funny how time can fly, you know. I and it also, I guess, comes down to how young uh, you were when you started. I think I was in uh, let's see, I want to say third third grade when I started mini wargaming. So wow. when I tell people I've been gaming for over, you know, 23 years now, they go, man, you know, if they haven't met me before, they think I'm in my 40s, but <laughs> I'm only 32. So it's uh, it's just one of the things that, you know, it, it depends when you kind of jumped into it. I was uh, just in the mall one time, and uh, that was back when uh, Games Workshop had, uh, you know, their outlet <laughs> yeah. in the mall. And just walked by, walked in, and I was sucked in immediately. You know, I bought some Dire uh, Dire Avengers for Eldar, and then my friend bought some Skaven for Mordenheim. And we thought we could just, you know, make up our own rules and fight each other. And (laughs) it was uh, was definitely something. So, you know, time time can definitely fly. Yeah, yep. <laughs> like, you know, we'll just say everything hits on fours no matter what, and we all get the same dice. <laughs> yep. So, but yeah, uh, I guess uh, without further ado, we can jump right in. I want to also thank uh, Brett and Justin for being on tonight. Uh, Justin, as uh, some that listen uh, know, does Baratheons kind of as his secondary army. Uh, so it'll be nice to kind of get his insight and uh, what he kind of thinks. Uh, but yeah, we'll jump right into it. First up, we have Baratheon Justice of the seven main uh, faction cards. So you guys will have to kind of correct me on which ones were quote-unquote replaced for what. And I know, like, you know, comparing the two isn't necessarily fair, but it at least gives you kind of a, a design idea of what their thought process of changing cards were. Uh, so Baratheon Justice, do you guys remember which one this sort of replaced or went in place of? Um, let's see. I want to say it's... Oh, uh, uh, it's um, the, what, the, the best card? No, yeah, no, there's with. a different one that Stagger Swift's still oh, there. Resilient. Uh, it's the one. It looks yeah, like, Stag's it looks like Stag's resilient. Yeah, that's what it replaced. Oh, okay. Which is, you know, that's a big one. And, <laughs> yep. And like I said, it's not like we, it, we're comparing these unilateral, uh, unilaterally. And you know, oh man, they took out this card and placed this card. You know, garbage. It's just kind of the uh, you know 
back of your mind, you know, trying to see their design process of the way things evolved from 1.6 to the 2021 uh, update. So with Baratheon Justice, we have when a friendly unit passes a morale test, target all enemies engaged with this unit, they become vulnerable. If you control the letter, this unit restores two wounds. Now, uh, my first initial thought I'll throw out there real quick, I think this card would be so much better if the two abilities were swapped, just to have like that auto heal and not have to worry about the zone for the heal. Uh, but then again, I don't know, I, I think it's situational. Uh, if you could be engaged with a bunch of enemies, you know, putting out a bunch of vulnerable tokens, especially in a, a Stannis army, having that vulnerable be the auto effect rather than the situational one. Um, I know I, I guess it's a preference at that point, uh, but we'll start off with uh, Joe. What do you think of this card? Well, I, if if we say that it's replacing Stag's resilience in spirit, um, I think most of us having, you know, I don't have as many games under my belt as probably a lot of you guys do. Um, and, and I'm a casual player. I haven't done any tournaments. I'd like to at some point, but um, so I'm coming at it kind of from a different angle, but Stag's Resilience was one of those cards that you would you would hang on to for some really juicy moment. Uh, there were certain cards that we would, I'd often, you know, you'd get rid of, but the timing, you'd end up with the horrible draw two cards in the beginning of the game, and two out of the three of them might be, you know, when a unit is destroyed cards. But, you know, if you had a Stag's Resilience card, you're like, oh, this is, this is going to be good. I don't want to get rid of this necessarily. And the heal on that one where you would swap, well, it would cause wounds to the enemy whilst also uh, simultaneously uh, healing your own unit. And it, it could be very swingy, but it was really cool when it, when it worked. And in this case, like you said, having the, the letter zone doing the, the healing, the, the vulnerable, I feel like, especially as a Stannis player, I'm a little bit less excited by the vulnerable token. I mean, the tokens are great, don't get me wrong, but um, I'm not quite in need of that as a Stannis player, at least with this particular Stannis we'll talk about later, the, the version we have here, the right glare uh, for 2021. Uh, but the vulnerable thing, I'm, I'm not really excited by this card, but I do appreciate the trigger being something that we hadn't really had, which was, you know, past morale test. Morale for our army is pretty good. So it does happen. It occurs over the game. And having something to just toss out there when that occurs um, is nice. But the whole engaged thing, though, again, is sort of limiting. Like, But we were used to that. We've been used to that now uh, for a while. Yep. And, uh, and you make a good point with the trigger is that this trigger is a reactive trigger. So that vulnerable token could then be placed on the uh, enemy uh for your swing back, uh, which could be useful. But as you said, being engaged does limit its ability. The nice part is if you do already control the letter, if you get shot uh, by a ranged attack, you could still heal too. Or if uh, uh, you're hit with like even a crown zap, you could heal too if you have the letter. Sure, um, it still would function the second part, yeah. Not, uh... Yep. So both, it's not all or nothing. So it's, that's nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tony, how about you? Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of really agree with the whole point about the stag's resilience being kind of. Well, it's a lot better. Um, personally, myself, as he said, it's used for those juicy moments. Um, there's multiple occasions where I would be engaged with the unit, 
that was down to one wound, I would activate, use that, kill that unit, and then make a charge against another unit. And it really swung the game in a lot of cases. But I think with the new one, especially we're going to see later down the line, Vulnerable seems to be taking a lot. It's a bigger place now in the Baratheon army uh, with the new tactics deck, and I can see why. Um, And we'll talk about that later. But as you said, it's limiting being engaged, but I think with the new tactic deck, they took out a lot of the triggers that require you to be engaged. So it, it can play off of itself with it being based on a morale test. They hit you, you pass, bam, you attack back. So I think he touched on a lot of points that really are essential to how the Baratheon deck is swinging in the new 2020 um, update. And I couldn't agree more with with you. you originally you said about switching the two, getting the wounds, vulnerable being second. And I agree with that, but I understand how they did it and why they did it the way they do. And yeah, I'm almost, I, if I could... Sorry. Go ahead. It, I guess just as someone who's really, you know, I'm, I'm into the theme of the, of the game and the lore, and I'm always wondering, I love when I can connect the abilities of the card or the character to the title. And in this case... And I'm not trying to be flippant here. Just maybe someone can illuminate. I, why is it called Baratheon Justice? You know, it's like I, I guess I, I'm not really sure. Maybe I'm just blind here and I'm missing something. But doesn't doesn't really feel like that's what should happen. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I think Simon uh, has done an amazing job with most other tactics cards. Usually making a little bit of sense. I know that's. It, that can be a little weird to say because I'm more just talking about like a title and then an effect, but they're usually pretty good about making the effect match the name. And that's not something I had thought about until you mentioned it just now. And I, I'd agree. I don't really see the correlation between the title and the effect, but, uh, mm. minor. Yeah. 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 It's one of those, just one of those minor things. Um, maybe it was a different ability entirely. And then they just, uh, that made more sense with the name, and then they changed. They they maybe they scrapped it, and they're like, ah, oh, we don't really like that, and they changed the ability. But then maybe sometimes that's one of those little things that kind of slips through the cracks, and they're like, oh, well, we didn't change the name, and uh, right. it just kind of felt that way. Um, but yeah, as far I, as like swapping like the that... abilities, oh, go ahead if you have a just real quick, and then I'll then I'll. Stop. But the, I feel like you know, what what the ability does makes me think that one should have been Baratheon conviction because they're passing a morale test. You have the conviction, and so that seems like because of the passing the morale test, that just seems like something I think conviction when I think the morale. But that's that maybe that's just my own personal bias there. But yeah, like like we said, it's it's a minor thing. I just sometimes I question why they called something that, you know, but yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you're good. Um, let's see. So what I was saying about swapping the effects is that um, I think no matter which way, I guess it's just what jumps out to me is I think it'd be cooler if the uh, effects were swapped, but I'm sure there's other people out there that 
you know, are opposite of me, you know, that like it as it is. And if it was swapped, they would be like, well, why aren't these swapped? So um, it's probably just a, a preference at, a preference for the order of these abilities at that point. Um, and maybe the name had something to do with the, uh, um, the heel being secondary. But uh, before we get too caught up on just this uh, one card, uh, Justin, is there anything else you wanted to add to this one? Uh, I agree with everyone about it taking the spot of a, the best card in the deck. However, uh, I would like pay attention to some of the cards coming up because this card combos a lot better, uh, especially because, as you guys said, it, it's a reaction to you being attacked, and so you're going to be attacking next. Um, I won't get into details, but this should, if I'm not mistaken, combine with Final Strike, and that could get real nasty real quick for your opponent. So this card may be the new game changer for the faction, um, but we'll get to that. And then uh, lastly, uh, Brett, is there anything else you wanted to add before we move on to Stag's Wit? No, I, I think just just in general, um, I'm not surprised, and I don't think that a lot of people really should be overly surprised that the the potential to deal for auto wounds with the tactics card. You know, it's just in line with what they said was going to happen with some of the some of the auto wounding effects. Um, just I guess quote unquote free effects. You you had to be wounded and you had to control the letters for that to happen, but it, it shouldn't be a huge surprise that the potential to do four wounds just from playing that card is not there anymore. But with that said, it's it reminds me a lot of the original Champion of the Faith. Um, it's essentially the same thing. You pass a, I guess this one's a panic test, and I think the old Champion of the Faith was a morale test. But uh, just being able to immediately make everything engaged with you vulnerable is a, is a pretty good ability. I thought the old Champion of the Faith was pretty strong. Um, I found myself, before Warrior Sons were released, I was just really trying to work that guy into the list. Um, and I know uh, Joseph mentioned with the new Stannis, Vulnerable's not super great for him, but, uh, you know, it being in the base deck, uh, being able to get Vulnerable tokens potentially that many, because a lot of times to bring down even just a basic unit of Baratheon Wardens, it takes a double engagement. So the potential to put a vulnerable token on two enemies at the same time is actually pretty powerful, I think. I think it's one of those things it'll have to be played. And even even if the psychology of the potential of that card happening affects your opponent, like, oh, well, I don't want to engage this unit with two in case they, they both end up getting vulnerable at this key moment in the game, it might be big. Um, and I guess it's one of those things we'll have to wait and see. Yep. Uh, next up, we have Stag's Wit. When a friendly unit gains a condition token, remove that token. You may then target one enemy engaged with that unit. They gain one condition token of that type. If you control the letter, target one other enemy in long. They gain one condition token of that type. So we already just talked about Wrathing Justice, giving out one, potentially two uh, vulnerable tokens. I mean, I guess the sky's the limit uh, for how many, but realistically, one to two. Uh, now we have this other card that, as long as you're, in, it's another that kind of requires you to be engaged to get a good 
portion of its effect, which is uh, passing it on to whoever you're engaged with. But let's just say you are playing both these cards back to back. Um, you know, I uh, it'd be pretty cool if you know you're able to trigger both these cards you know, and just throw out like four tokens, you know, two vulnerables, and then let's say they try to weaken you, and then you toss a weaken back and then uh, throw another weaken within long to the other unit that was engaged if you're, you know, if it's two versus one in that scenario. Uh, you know, I think uh, this card went from the worst in the deck uh, in 20, uh, 1.6 to... You know, before we get to everything else, I'd say it's it's an amazing toolbox card. Like the ability to just remove a token instantly, uh, and then possibly pass one or two of that type onto someone else uh, is, I think, really strong. Uh, Tony, we'll start with you this time. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, Stag's Wit was probably the most undervalued and underused card in the game for a lot of reasons, and one of it was because it was very situational. Um, the new version of it is, it's not situational. It applies immediately. You don't have to wait to accumulate tokens. You can do it immediately as it happens, and in a lot of cases, you're going to have units that will have abilities that, once they are engaged with you, they can cause you to gain a condition token, and this allows you to react to that accordingly, which plays into the feel of Baratheons being this reactive and resilient faction. And in general, I'm as you said, with passing around all these tokens, you can throw out up to two vulnerable tokens, start throwing around weakens. I'm seeing a lot of tokens being thrown around with the new Baratheons, and I'm really liking it because unless you built it, a specific build around that, um, Stannis was the go-to for throwing out tokens. Um, you weren't going to be getting that many out there or taking many off unless you brought Shira. Now she's not going to feel as necessary, but she has also been updated as well where she's going to have more use. And this makes sense as to why, because now her old version would be less valued thanks to these new cards allowing you to throw out all these condition tokens. And this one specifically allows you to react on a trigger of it happening to you. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's the big key part there. There's a lot of effects that will get rid of a token for you, but getting rid of it instantly as it's being placed is very rare, and it's very strong because in a lot of cases, uh, let's say they try to put a vulnerable on you, in a lot of cases they're going to use that vulnerable immediately. Like they're going to charge, you know, place that vulnerable, charge or charge, place that vulnerable, and then attack you, then use it. And then, you know, by the time your turn comes up, you the it's already been used. You have no chance of getting rid of it. Whereas Stag's Wit's going to give you that opportunity that immediately as they place it on you, you can place it on uh, on your opponent instead after they charge into you. So uh, I think this is probably arguably like the best token removal card uh, or ability that we've seen. What do you think, um, uh, Joe? Oh, did you have something uh, else you wanted to add in there? Oh, yes. Um, um, and we'll see later, there is a specific Renly card that has gotten updated as well, which includes a 
really powerful token removal mechanic as well that will combine very nicely with this when building lists around a Renly playstyle because you're going to be able to really make sure you're not gaining those tokens but constantly dishing them out, and that's always going to keep your opponent at a disadvantage. Uh, Joe, what do you think about Stag's Wit? Yeah, I, I love this card now, and I've I've seen it um, in action once. I, I had two friends that I, I did a demo game for them with all the models I could muster and kind of printed out some cards and had one player play as Renly and, and one play as Stannis at 40 point versus 40 point. And um, they, I think three of these cards came out uh, between their two decks and, you know, watching them get used, whereas I used to see them kind of just, um, you know, get discarded or sit in the hand for too long, uh, seeing this card uh, come back kind of front and center and in keeping the same spirit that it had before, albeit in a more, in a more general, generally useful way, um, it's just it's really nice to see. And uh, it's, it jives with both, as you know, Tony mentioned, with Renly, it goes well with Stannis too. I mean, he's, he's now manipulating tokens left and right, and a lot of the tokens... Uh, in play with Stannis will thankfully be the ones that you placed on the enemy in part thanks to this card. Um, and, you know, the fact that it, again, it gives you options. You, if you're engaged, you're getting the best, uh, you're getting the most benefit out of it. Uh, but if you need a, to- if you really need a token to not hit you and not arrive on your unit and say you're not engaged, you know, you, you can use it. You know, maybe it's not the ideal use, but the fact that you can you can do that, and then if you've got the letters, a zone of course that we enjoy already, uh, that we already want uh, as Brathians, um, giving giving that back kind of like the old one did, um, you know, it, it's awesome. Just so many options, so many ways to to get a minor effect or a more powerful effect uh, based on your decisions that you've made. Um, it just all leans into the changes. Um, you know, what, what the intention was behind 2021, which was to reward you for planning and smart play. And so, you know, as a Stannis player with the tokens being, uh, you know, front and center and them leaning into that thematically, uh, this plays into that well, as does, I think, the title of the card, um, specifically with that, that character. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy about it. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy to see it getting used and saw it in action and look forward to using it some more. So um, that's a fun one. We really didn't have that ability before. He meant, Tony mentioned Shira Errol. Um, I'm a little bit less into her now than I was, admittedly. I mean, she's still good, and she's worth the four points that she's cost now, but uh, this makes me a little bit less into that character. Um, but uh, we, didn't ha- we didn't have the tools for dealing with the token removal as much, and now we have something inherently in the deck. So it's good stuff. Uh, Justin, so... How do you feel about this card, especially because to me it kind of feels like like a distant relative of adaptive methods? Well, of current adaptive methods, yeah. Uh, I love this card. Oh, I think yeah. it's great. I can't tell you how many times uh, with adapted methods I've just tossed what my opponent really needed to finish me off onto him and made his attack, instead of destroying me, completely useless. You, ter- you can turn a vulnerable token into... Uh, into a weakened token, potentially... No, no, it's the same. So, vulnerable token into vulnerable token. Not as good uh, at, in that situation, but still just phenomenal. I think this is going to be such a fun card. And especially 
coming from what it was. Ugh, Stags it was trash. <laughs> so I'm pretty yeah, happy to see that. The you know when it, the card was first revealed, the original Stags Wit, everyone was like, "Man, this card is like amazing. It's like one of the top cards." But then, in in actual practice, like in application, you know, I think the amount of times that card has ever gone off like to its full effect, maybe twice, and that's counting all of my Brassian games and all the Brassian games against me. And then uh, all the times that it's gone off, like where even it's only healed like one or removed one token, uh, you know, it's still like this card is almost always ditched in 1.6 because of, you know, the shared trigger and, you know, you just, even if you could use it in a lot of situations, removing, like, a single token was nothing compared to playing, like, Hours of the Fury or, or not Hours, sorry, not Hours of the Fury, but um, uh, Stag's Resilience or uh, Hold the Line or just any of the other when engaged, uh, when you activate cards. So I think... Uh, yeah, I think this is probably the biggest. I wouldn't say this is the best card in the 2021 uh, deck, but it's I think the biggest improvement, in my opinion, of them. Uh, next up, we have Ours is the Fury. When a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice, choose one for each zone you control among the crown or letter. Choose plus one. This attack uh, deals plus one to hit. This attack gains thundering. This attack gains vicious. So uh, can get all three if you happen to control the crown and the letter, and then you get the plus, the base plus one. You could get plus one to hit thundering vicious. Uh, Je- uh, Justin, what do you think about the change to this card and just the, the overall application to this? So I really liked Hours of the Fury before. I'm glad that they kept the name. I feel like I would have rioted had they not. Uh, you can't have Baratheons without having Hours of the Fury in it. But I really like this change a lot. I'm a sucker for just straight-up buff cards. No fancy shenanigans going on. Like, here's this. It makes me better. I'm going to hit you with betterness. Uh, and I'm always a fan <laughs> of that. So I'm a, I like this card a lot. I think it's great. Uh, I think being able to gain Sundering, Vicious, and plus one to hit on any single attack potentially is crazy. Also, Ours of the Fury had kind of a, I don't know, a gap before. If you had a very defensive army or you were kind of just down to your last few who-the-whatsevers, like Wardens and stuff, Ours of the Fury could (coughs) often not have a lot of impact. Uh, This card is probably always going to have a lot of impact. I mean... I'm I'm betting there's not going to be a ton of scenarios where you don't control one of the zones when you use it. Maybe very beginning of round, but I mean if you if you're so confident that your plus one to hit or sundering or vicious is going to kill your enemy, then you're probably not even needing it. So you're at least probably going to get two of these most of the time. And that could even turn the lowly wardens into beat sticks, and I'm very excited to see that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, one of my favorite lists to run is uh, just five Wardens, Renly and one of them, and the other four have uh, Stormcrow Lieutenants for that very reason. You know, giving them Sundering and plus one die, uh, 
you know, making them, you know, something you can't really just ignore anymore. I mean, granted, they're still hitting on fours, but still, uh, you know, for a six-point unit uh, that's super defensive, you just can't ignore them. Uh, granted, I run Littlefinger and Alistair to not automatically guarantee me uh, the wealth, but in most cases, I can guarantee the wealth almost every single round unless you have uh, like some other ability, like if you have your own Alistair or whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, so this card, uh, like you said, it can it can give like some of the smaller units uh, quite a bit of a bite. Uh, Joe, what do you think of this one? So I'm I'm tracking with what Justin is saying regarding the the older version of Hours of the Fury. It, it's an important card, as as is every House Word card, right? So when he said he'd riot if they removed it, uh, I, you know, I don't think that there was any danger of them removing it. You, you can't. It seems like every faction they get a card that is their House Words, and they're usually one of the better cards, as they should be. And the old Hours, hours as the Fury, I, I was actually in the minority. I didn't really like the card that much. It, as far as um, it wasn't, wasn't one of my favorite cards, I liked Hold the Line and Stag's Resilience way more than Hours as the Fury. And every card, it seemed, you know, I'm, I'm being kind of hyperbolic, but it seemed like every card, it was always, you know, you're on the back foot, right? It's a defensive faction, you know, you're on the back foot. You're, you're it's the reactive faction, blah, blah, but. That one, you know, it was triggering after a friendly combat unit is attacked. So someone's going to – they hit you really, really hard. Let's say they bring you down to two ranks, maybe even one rank, and then it was almost situational of a card, in my opinion, based on the units that you would bring, to Justin's point. And so there were only a couple units, in my opinion. We didn't have a lot of releases for a long time uh, on the Baratheon side of things. So it wasn't really that useful, in my opinion, because a lot of the units he'd played on – they you know they do this hit back for free and the hit back would be you know three hits caused four hits caused the person would save half of them and you know hooray you killed two enemy soldiers on your glorious hours of the fury play so you know it, it was, there were a couple units it was great with the stag knights which people stopped playing with after a fashion uh, just because they weren't really worth their eight points at that point in time so I, I didn't I didn't love the the, the card uh, and now that it's it's now a um, foot-forward card. It's a proactive card. It's letting us kind of go on the attack, and it lets you, you're giving them the hammer. You know, it's, it's ours is the fury. You're getting the sundering, um, you know, with a plus one to hit, which is, you know, I think hold the line kind of comes through here a little bit. Um, I regret the loss of that one, but seeing you get that plus one to hit option, and again, options, options, options. It's the seems like the the new thing here, giving you. Uh, potential to choose your your platter here of how you want to go about it, and then bringing the crown in a little bit more because I feel like in the in the older version of the card deck, uh, yeah, we preferred the crown and the letters, but it seemed like letters were pre- preferred more so than the crown by a little bit, and now they're kind of evening it out a little. It seems like half and half. You want crown, you want letters, somewhat evenly. So uh, new hours of the fury makes me makes me feel the fury. So I, I like it. Well, and I think they did an awesome job to keep along the lines of, you know, they've been talking about reducing the number of attack dice, which we have seen throughout. And I think this is like the perfect way of, you know, taking away that free attack that was not only reactive, because a reactive attack is much worse than just like a normal free attack, because then you could just attack twice in a row. But uh, 
Yeah, I think as you mentioned, you see hold the line in here a little bit. I think this is a perfect way of adding that hold the line back without adding the dice in there with giving you just other keyword abilities uh, to prevent, you know, way too many dice, which is what I think ultimately leads to the ability to one-two punch units uh, to death. So I'd have to agree. This is this is definitely a great uh, design uh, with trying to still bring what seems like uh, hold the line back. Um, Tony, what do you think? Yeah, um, I, I got to agree as well. You know, I'm right there. You got to have ours in the fury. It's got to be a powerful card. It represents what the what the house is, the faction, and. I'm on the other on the other side of the fence, though. I love this card. I played it with a lot of success. Um, it did seem to be situational, but I, I guess I always put myself in a situation where I could play off of it. Um, but for a while, it was difficult because you had, you know, the Sentinels, which if they got hit, they were often going to lose a couple of rings. Uh, they were very squishy; they could hit hard, and you didn't want to waste ours of the fury on that because you weren't going to get its value. And with the Wardens, they just didn't hit hard at all, so using it on them, it really, again, didn't feel worth its value. And with that, it was a powerful card, but you had to use it smart. So I do agree there that it wasn't as great. But the new version, I think they still kept along those lines. You know, I personally love plus one to hit. It was my favorite part about Hold the Line. Um because it really made units like the Wardens, they could actually do something. Or if you really just wanted to make sure that you were going to land all of your hits, or at least most of them, you could apply them to Stagnites, uh, Sentinels, even Flavemen on a charge. Not on a charge, but um, just Flavemen in general, um, back before the Champions came out. And also having the ability to gain Thundering and Vicious with it is just... It's great. It gives you almost all of the benefits of the old stagnites and even the current stagnites without the critical blow. And that's just a very powerful card to have and you play it on an attack. And that itself makes it even better because it is a completely universal card that can be used really whenever you need it, whenever you're going into combat. Yeah, I I would have to say uh, before talking about the last uh, four of the main deck, this probably gets my uh, MVP of the base cards for the simple effect of the plus one to hit. As we've seen, there's just so many effects that minus your to hit, and then you got like Counter Strike and you know the abundance of I believe t- you know just tokens like from every faction, you know weakened or whatnot. That plus one to hit is gold in 2021 uh, update. I think uh, before it was just an awesome ability to have. You know, plus one to hit was always nice. But now I think plus one to hit is going to be the most valuable thing that you can really have. Um, And so it's always nice to kind of see it as an ability or a tactics card that you can, uh, you know, have a couple times a game. Or as we'll see... uh, Later, when we talk about the last thing, um, you could have it uh, pretty much every single round. (laughs) But uh, um, next up, though, we have Sustained Assault, 
when a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice. If this unit began the turn engaged with the defender, it rolls its highest attack die value. If the defender has more remaining ranks than the attacker, the defender becomes vulnerable. So, um, was this the card that was revealed uh, when they revealed one of every card? I can't remember. Mm. I do believe uh, so. so. Yeah. yeah. This one, I think, this one does not, uh, um, what's the right words to use? I don't know, impress, I guess. I don't know if impress is the right words. It's for lack of better words. It's one I'm not, like, totally in love with. Just, it's another one that has, another card that has, requires you to be engaged. But the important part, important thing to note, whereas uh, Brathing Justice and Stag's Wit do have a way for you to get an effect without being engaged, uh, whereas Stag's Wit could just remove the token and just not place any. Uh, or even if you control the, even if you're not engaged, you could have the letter and remove that token and then place one within long. Uh, and Brathian Justice, if you control the letter, you can heal too. Uh, uh, sustained assault requires you to be engaged and there's no way around it and it doesn't necessarily do anything for you early game because if you're already at full dice and you're both at full ranks you're you can't even really play the card to get any effects so it's definitely a, a card that i'm not like super excited for uh we'll start with you tony yeah i i I understand that. At, at just looking at it, it doesn't really seem that like it has a lot of power to it. It's one of those cards that it's there when you need it. It can give you an advantage, but it's not really one that you're going to want to keep on to, especially if you draw it early game. It's going to be one that you're going to discard. Yeah, you could use it later on, but it's not really going to benefit you now, and you're only really penalizing yourself by keeping it, and that's the drawback to it. However, I do see it as a good mid-to-late game utility card when for those inevitable charges, you know, you're going to get hit. And when you do, it could be nasty. They could play a combo, and you're probably going to lose a rank or two if they do it right. And having that card that, while you do have to be engaged, it finally gives you a advantage for actually suffering more wounds than, than your opponent has. It plays off of the fact that you really did just get hit, and you need to do something about it. And I think that's going to be very useful but just just not early on, it is definitely more of a mid-game card. Um, I completely agree there. So I was thinking one thing that could make it definitely much better is a slight, a slight tweak. You know, it allows you to attack your highest attack die value. You could almost even just add in there that if you're already at your highest, you just get plus one die, much in the same way that the new boldness, boldness and courage gives you just plus one die for at full ranks, and then change the second effect to just be equal or more, or no, is it if the defender has more remaining? So if or you could, yeah, you could just change it to be that if the defender has equal or more remaining uh, ranks, or even just change it to be models if the defender has more models. That way, you could both be at the same ranks but still trigger this card. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like it has a lot of potential. Uh, it would just need slight tweaks to wait, to, to give it more um, versatility, uh, make it more usable early game, even if that early game is just a slight buff that 
it's it's something you know you, it's better than just ditching the card uh early game you know be like okay i'll just play it i'll just get plus one die and possibly vulnerable you um rather than oh well i'm getting zero benefits so i'll just ditch it and try to get you know some of these other amazing cards that they've made uh justin how do you feel about this one yeah more or less the same i think It'll be nice when it works, and there's going to be many times where you discard it, but every deck kind of needs something that, not not bad cards, but they need cards that are kind of weaker, so that way you can discard to chase things that you need. I think that's that's kind of a weirdly important role for some cards. Poor little guys. <laughs> they don't deserve that life. But yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about it. There's like like you guys said, there's going to be plenty of times where this card's worthless. There's going to be other times where this card's pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I definitely. If you're at last rank and, you know, being able to get, you know, possibly three to four extra dice, depending on what unit you are, and then make your, your opponent vulnerable, uh, you know, that's pretty big. Um, so I think really the only weakness uh, about this card is the versatility, like the usefulness. Yeah. Uh, not, I guess maybe versatility isn't the best. The versatility in, you know, timing for the card or like the for the round, whatever round How it is. How often it's or, going to be used. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Joe, what do you think? The So when we first saw Sustained Assault, um, it you know, on the Facebook group, it, some people were a little bit concerned, like, oh, no, I, is that going to be the best card in the deck or is it going to be the worst card in the deck? <laughs> I hope it's yeah. the worst card in the deck. Everybody was thinking it better not be one of the better ones because, man, we're in trouble if that's the case. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it's kind of middle of the middle of the road. In fact, I think they kind of brought most of the Baratheon cards back to center line. Uh, there's a couple very good ones. And there's a lot of just good ones, and there aren't really any terrible ones. And there used there used to be like a couple bad ones, and then a couple okay ones, and then a couple great ones. And now it just seems like they kind of leveled that uh, that line there, and kind of all brought it all back to center a little. And so this one's I, it's good. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it's it's great necessarily, but it has a little bit of ours as the fury, the old card in it with the whole um, that one required you to control the crown zone. And then you got to roll your highest attack die value, which admittedly I wasn't able to pull off a lot of the time. And now it's just if they have, you know, if, if you're engaged, um, you know, if, when the turn uh, began engaged, you just get the highest attack value inherently. So uh, that's really nice uh, relative to the Baratheon justice we talked about earlier. The vulnerable in this case is not 100%. Like I, you know, it's nice. Uh, it might overlap with the Baratheon Justice. If if you get attacked initially, you get charged. Say you get hit. You maybe you pass that morale test. You play Baratheon Justice. You make them vulnerable, um, and then it's your turn. And maybe you don't have ours as the Fury, which I think players would prefer to this one with the same uh, same trigger. And so, uh, if you did have this one though, maybe they hit you. Maybe you are under. Uh, you're under ranks compared to the fresh attacker, and so maybe you can use this one instead. Um, so it, it, it has its place, like you guys were saying. Um, it also, uh, I feel like this one they could have called this "Hold the Line." They could have they could have brought "Hold the Line" because I love the title of that card. It just had this cool 
thematic, cinematic vibe to it. And that sustained assault, for some reason, doesn't feel as cool to me. Um, I know it's another minor thing of talking about the titles here, but I, I feel like they could have called this one Hold the Line. It kind of has a Hold the Line vibe where you're you're kind of losing men, but you're kind of standing firm and you're still kind of uh, giving it to them with your highest attack die value. So um, that would have been kind of nice. But, yeah, this one, it's, it's just it's good. Um, I'm not upset about it, and I don't think I was freaking out about it when they first revealed, um, you know, the history going back through the thread may seem otherwise, but – uh, I don't recall being <laughs> super offended by it. I, I recall thinking, oh, this is this is okay. Uh, we were just a little concerned about what was going to get booted. Uh, so it, it's it's nice. I, I, I like it. Uh, I have no, no problem with it. Um, it doesn't excite me, but that's okay. Yeah, I think as far as the name goes, I agree. Uh, I don't know. I think they probably didn't choose Hold the Line because I'm sure Hold the Line is still an ability. Uh and they might not want it. Like it, I guess it depends what hold the line's ability is, if it's the same or tweaked. But that might have been why they didn't choose that name. As far as sustained assault, for me, it sounds like like you're uh, attacking multiple times, like uh, an assault mm-hmm. that's sustained. Like you're you're attacking and then you're attacking. Um, so I don't know. Sustained Assault, the name sounds like something that would more be like an attach card that would attach and then have a, an always effect until it fell off or whatnot. But, yeah, I kind of agree mm-hmm. with the name. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, we'll kind of – I guess testing will will show how this card plays out. I, I think, uh, as you mentioned, Justin, it will really just depend on, like – what round, what point in the game you're in. Early, you're going to be ditching this card. End of the game, this card could be amazing. Four extra dice and vulnerable, I mean, that's that's pretty big, uh, especially if you're down to your last rank and your opponent's, like, barely at two ranks. This could be the difference between finishing off that unit with an attack. So, um, Next up, we have Baratheon Conviction, arguably the second worst card of 1.6 just because of its... Uh, trigger to fall off when you fail a panic test. Uh, Now, though, it is when a friendly unit passes a panic test from being attacked, attach this card to that unit until it fails a panic test. While this card is attached, this unit counts as having plus one rank for determining attack dice, and while you control the crown, this unit may re-roll any attack dice. Now, I'm not too fond of the, the trigger of how it falls off. Failing a panic test... I guess uh, Stannis uh, loyalty stuff is probably going to love this card. Um, I guess really just faithful that we know of um, uh, Kingsman, which we will talk about only because it's an actual leaked card, like a physical leak rather than the document. Uh, but they they have a six-up morale, so it's not like it's good, but it's not amazing. But like putting this on faithful, now you'll really get mileage out of this card. But uh, I think just average across the faction, um, I think it's a pretty nice card. I think uh, I'm just not fond of the way it falls off. Uh, but, um, Tony, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I agree with how it falls off. Um, Baratheons don't have a great morale across the board. They don't have a terrible morale, but it's not great. Uh, until you look at the Faithful, which do have a four, and they play better off of that. And uh, Rose Knights, they have mechanics that play off of morale, but still at a six, it's not as reliable. I do, however, love the changing of the trigger for you to gain the card. 
there's multiple occasions where I would forget that I had it in my hand and it's at the start of a round and it just doesn't get played and it sits there. Or I play it, but it's too late. There's not, I have to control the zones. I already played it. My opponent knows what I'm doing. It, it was very predictable. With this new one, it activates as it's like, it's more reactive. It gives, it gets it out of your hand more often. And with the new cap of five cards in your hand, I think that's going to be very important to be able to get these cards out of your hand. And I think this really highlights that. And it just makes it easier for you to really manage your deck, be tactical about it. Personally, I'm a fan of rerolling dice. I roll a lot of ones. So to be able to change that up a little bit would be lovely. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about it, and I think if if you're dead set on keeping the uh, the way it falls off for a panic test, it'd be kind of cool to actually change out the plus one rank uh, ability for just uh, they get a plus one morale bonus for every rank they have. So, like, if you're at full, you get a plus three. I mean, you know, you really got to beat them out of it to really – you know, because at last rank, you know, they're only getting a plus one. They still have a pretty decent chance of failing their panic and then having this fall off. But at least that way, you know, you are getting a, a morale bonus. Uh, or you can even be uh, make it be where the the main ability is the reroll dice. And then while you control the crown, you know, the crown effect, you know, being something that, as uh, you mentioned before, or, or maybe it was you, Joe, that, you know, you didn't really necessarily need the crown for, you know, or weren't enticed enough to want the crown before in 1.6. Now, like a lot of these effects are really wanting you to have them, you know, have that plus one morale for every rank you have be the crown portion. That way you're, you're like, well, I want to keep this card on my unit to keep getting rerolls. So I'm going to take the crown so I can get a plus one for every rank I have. And then, uh, you know, really ensure this card stays on. Uh, but, with that aside, I know I'm kind of, you know, just throwing out wish lists <laughs> at the moment. I think uh, a combo between the plus one rank and the reroll dice combined with all these other cards we've talked about can be pretty uh, pretty brutal. Uh, Joe, what do you think? So this one, this one's got a lot going on. Uh, the Brathian Conviction of, of previous uh, version, rules version, um, as Tony mentioned, it... It was one of those cards, like, it, look, it looked so cool to me to think about that comboing some of the other stuff. But, yeah, usually by the time you got it in play, I had a hard time making sure I held those zones at the time that they were needed relative to the effect that was uh, granted by holding them. So it just seemed like, oh, the, you know, the, the right time – right moment in time in the battle, it, it wasn't really great. I mean, I managed to block two hits on a couple sixes, but even that was kind of lame because it's it's just, you know, if he's rolling ones all the time, you know, if Tony's rolling his ones, then he's certainly not blocking two hits. Um, but, uh, you know, like you just said, the crown, the, this card and the next two cards, if I, you know, if I have it the order correctly, uh, all are kind of leaning into the crown. Um, and so, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, you pointed out that the crown now is a little bit more um, important for us than it was before. Now it seems that the crown zone in general is considered a little bit less 
um, a little bit less powerful than some of the other zones, a little bit less favored. Uh, the other side of that coin, you know, it's 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 a little bit, especially if you're going to be running a two NCU list, it's a little bit of a bummer um, to maybe take the crown when you really want, say, the swords or the horse. Um, but the other side of that coin is that a lot of other factions aren't going to be wanting to go over and steal it from you. So um, it's just... It's just part of the deal. When we know that we had the two zones that we were going to want. Some factions are just um, looking for one zone. Um, so that's a, a different issue based on list building. But as far as the card goes, this panic test stuff, um, we have tools to boost uh, morale. Um, at least uh, I'm seeing there's the one, that big change to the, to the noble, which we may talk about later, um, that will stack into whatever unit you put in and give you some morale buffs, and then you might be able to pass your panic test a little easily. And we also don't know, um, you know, the faithful we believe will, we believe will still have great morale. But so there may be some other stuff they haven't revealed yet that um, maybe there's some morale bonuses in some of that other stuff that were, that's owed to us uh, later on. So we, we're not quite sure yet. We don't quite have all the information, but um, you know, plus one rank's good. Plus one rank is, I'll take it. You know, we, they seem to, we seem to get, get tough as we lose ranks, and that plays into the theme that Simon wanted to lean into with Baratheons. And so now there's a more cohesive, there's a more cohesive story here uh, relative to our, our, our Baratheons. So um, I think this new version is superior in, in almost every way to the old version. Yeah, and it's like I said, it was arguably the second worst of you know, or even the worst, depending on who you asked, uh, of the 1.6 cards. Um, and now it's it's amazing. Um, you just have to make sure you put it on the right unit. You know, putting it on a unit <clears throat> that this is just going to fall off right away. Obviously, it it might as well just be a dead card if if that happens. Um, but you make a good point that you know you could take the the revealed uh, Stagnite Noble, which gives Iron Resolve for plus one panic and minus one wound, you could easily turn uh, a unit you know, that's a six up to a five up. Now you're more likely to keep it on much longer. Or uh, we don't even know, you know, there might be some commanders that give uh, Stalwart or some other abilities. So it'll, it'll definitely be nice to see what kind of comes out this card stay on, uh, on a unit longer. Uh, Justin, did you have anything else you wanted to add for this one? Sorry, my mic is muted. I wouldn't say, like, anything to add. I I think I don't love this card as much as I like most of the other buff cards in the game, because I've mentioned quite a few times that I really like that every faction seems to be getting some permanent buff card, except every other faction's card is permanent, and this one isn't, because you're going to fail well, the fantasy. <laughs> Uh, this isn't that one though. Um, Oath of Duty we'll talk about last, but that's that's hey. their version. Well, this one, you know uh, what? Only, this they one triggers after you pass a panic. Yeah, but, but yes, it still stays on you saying. until you fail a panic test, so it could be potentially the whole game. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, I mean it is nice that they do have two cards that, you know, that's four cards in your deck minimum that uh, will have the potential to attach, depending on, and then more, depending on what commander you take. Uh, so 
And like I said, if you have good targets for this, this could easily stay on the whole game. Whereas other cards, or with depending on which unit, it could fall off the first time you take a panic test. So uh, it'll just have to be, uh, you know, you have to keep that in mind when building your, your list. You know, maybe have an ideal unit that you're going to use this on, or maybe even just go, you know, I don't care that much about this card. I'll just use it as you were saying, Justin, you know, one of those cards that you just intentionally plan to pitch to go fish out for other cards. So, um Next up, we'll talk about Final Strike. Now, I said that Ours is Fury, I think, is the best of the seven. I know most people will probably say this is probably going to be the the key number one card in the deck for turning the game. And I can't necessarily uh, disagree with that. I think uh, this card is insanely strong. It's after an enemy completes an attack. For each wound the defender suffered from this attack, one enemy they are engaged with suffers one hit. If you control the crown, that enemy suffers minus one to defense dice rolls against these hits. And as you were mentioning, Justin, you can combine this with uh, uh, Baratheon Justice to vulnerable them. And if you have the crown, you're taking in not only that, uh, this is for the entirety of the attack. That means the panic test, too. So let's say you took three from the uh, attack, take your panic. Um, granted, you'll have to pass in order to put the uh, use the Baratheon Justice, but uh, you know, you're, they're going to be taking all those hits at minus one with a vulnerable token that you can make them re-roll. But let's say they just they charge into you and they just you know take out two ranks even, as eight dice they're getting hit back at minus one. Let's say they're a four-up save, you know, they're now five-up save, and they're vulnerable, so now you're making them reroll all of those. I mean, in a lot of cases, you're going to take uh, close to the amount of wounds that you that they dealt to you, or they're going to take as almost as much as they dealt. Now, that does, uh, it's not an attack, so you're not going to take a panic test from it. And because it's the amount that they did to you, at worst, you're going to take as much as you dealt, uh, unless there's some outside forces that uh, we haven't seen yet that will increase that. But um, So there is that is one thing to look uh, look for. But uh, So we'll jump over to you first, Justin. Uh, what do you think about this one? Brett and I played a practice game not too long ago. And his pyromancers blew up one of my units, which, you know, is not really supposed to happen in this, but leave it to Brett to have it happen. And they proceeded to immediately die because of this card. I didn't have a vulnerable token, but he failed all his <laughs> saves. And so he did 12 wounds, and I did 12 wounds back. <laughs> I love this card. It's great, especially with my dice rolls. I think I think vengeance is mine against you, Dave. So uh, you're going to have a bad... You're going to have a bad time? Sorry, my cat scared me. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's after the attack, so uh, it should also count the wounds taken from the panic test as well, which could get real it nasty. It does. Yeah, it does. It's just that Brathian Justice requires you to pass that test to get that vulnerable. Yeah. Um, oh, so well, yeah, I wasn't even other... like counting the vulnerable token, honestly. This yeah. card without that, and it's great that it combos, which is why I mentioned it. But even without that, like it's it's such a good card. Yep, and uh, 
one thing to note kind of along the lines, uh, Joe, that you've been mentioning about the name. I'm not too fond of this name. Final Strike implies that your unit's going to die. And I don't like it either. Uh, so I would almost even say Baratheon Justice fits on this card really well. Um, yeah, I, you know, I agree with that. I it's I guess for me the kind of the summary is like loving the new cards, not really loving a lot of the new names. But it's again I'd take yeah. that trade any day. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you can usually get past the names because in a lot of ways, you know, you just right. you know it by the name, and then you just you know it's the effect that in at what the I, end of the day that matters the most. But with that said, we'll jump over to you. Uh, what do you think of this card? Yeah. So I I you know. Just real quick, I, I would have called this Fury for the Fallen is what I would have called this card because you're, you're losing men and now you're giving it back to the enemy. And so I think Fury for the Fallen would have been a cooler title. We'd have feel cooler playing that card. Uh, but, yeah, so Final Strike, yeah, it's it's uh, in spirit. It's last stand, seemingly. Um, and I actually... You know, Last Stand was awesome. You know, you did die from it, so it was always kind of bittersweet, which I think was part of the narrative. But um, I like this more than Last Stand, actually, because whereas, kind of like what I mentioned with Ours of the Fury, uh, you know, version 1.6, version 1.6 Last Stand there, uh, it, depending, it, it was reactive, but it was still, like, the quality of your unit was factored in to how well, it would it would play, and so you know if something died, it, I would almost hold last stand in reserve for a better unit every time, even if I had the ability to play it on something. Because you know you, even like say the wardens as an example, they they're finally destroyed, um, and you get that one free attack. You're rolling your seven seven dice at a four plus, and you know it wasn't that. Destructive. It was just sort of a slap in the face, which was like it was more of like a, um, you know, a ha ha move than than usually like a swingy one. Unless it was one of your, you know, it worked. It worked great on on the stag nights again. It was like you know you're coming in with your full, and that was your full complement. It worked well. I think they almost designed that card for the original stag nights because they were getting all of their abilities the more they died. So once they were finally dead, it was like you guys did great service to to your lord. You know, it's like you're dead now, and that, that's when you're at your best. It's like it's where we want you. We want you dead. And so, you know, uh, getting, getting them <laughs> back. i got to cut in here just for a second. I need to step away for just a couple of minutes, but I will be right back. All right. Yeah, yeah no, no problem. problem. Um, but, yeah, so it, it was designed, I think, around the Stagnites almost. And this new card is is fully reactive, but it's based on the performance of the enemy unit. So, if they hit you really hard with a lot of their crazy combos and you're real and they're really taking it to you and then you you play this card um you, you know you're now you finally have an answer to that to that really strong attack and then to get a pseudo sundering from holding the crown uh and potentially with the combo you mentioned of the of, of justice prior to that with the um with the vulnerable token uh I, I enjoy this more than the old Last Stand. Uh, I know Last Stand is kind of a, a beloved card, but I love the title of Last Stand, but I like the Final Strike card better as far as a gameplay mechanic. 
Yeah, I agree. Last stand, as you were saying, you know, it it kind of sucked when it was like wardens that died. For me, I would play it even though it was just a slap in the face. I'd play it just to get out of my hand. Um, I think the big part that makes Final Strike so much better is just the trigger. You know, uh, getting this first round, uh, it wasn't a, isn't a big deal. Whereas getting last stand first, second round, you know. Usually you ditch it because hopefully nothing's dying anytime soon. Uh, you know that's not something to. Ho- hopefully that's something that you don't plan for. Uh, you know so I know it does happen, but uh, it's it's too out there to really plan for it. So a lot of cases you would ditch last stand early game, whereas now this they just have to attack you uh, to be able to trigger it. It may not be uh, something that you want to just throw out there after the first time you get attacked, but at least you have that option. Uh, Let's say it's a card that you don't want to hold on to right now because your opponent doesn't have a lot of heavy hitters. So you're just like, you know what, I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to do some damage back to them. And that's the other thing is that this is a reactive ability. You can, uh, you know, combo it with Baratheon Justice, hit them back, and then now you're on your action, maybe play Hours of the Fury. Uh, and if you've played Baratheon Justice, you know, you've, you're passing that panic test. So they're taking, let's say, like six wounds or six hits. And then now you're attacking them with plus one to hit or Sundering or Vicious or something, or even two of them. You know, you just, well, obviously you have the crown if you have the minus one. So you're getting two, if not three. Uh you can make some pretty awesome combos with this card because it's yet again another reactive card. Because um, let's see, uh, Stag's Wit, Breathing Justice, Breathing Conviction, Final Strike—all four of those cards are reactive to what your opponent is doing, and they're they're easy reactions. They're not just something that like because there can be a reactive card that just doesn't really trigger because your opponent just isn't doing it. Uh, Whereas these are, you know, unless your opponent's not attacking you, uh, which in which case, you know, you should be winning, you know, in a lot of cases. Uh, Stag's Wit is situational. I mean, I mean, it's going to be rare, but I guess there is going to be that time where your opponent it doesn't have or plan to throw a single token on you ever. Uh, but, but yeah, Final Strike being reactive is huge. And as you're saying, it's much, I think, more potent and better than Last Stand in nearly every way. I mean, there are situations that where Last Stand would be better, but, I mean, usually you can say that about any card. Any card is going to have its moment to shine, whereas Final Strike has lots of uh, utility or lots of potential in lots of different uh, cases. Um Tony, are you back by chance? Yes, I am. Awesome. And we'll uh, we'll end off with you for this card. What do you think? Um, I'm right there on the same wagon with you guys with the name. Uh, it really doesn't fit Final Strike. For me personally, Tireless Fury, something that shows that they're taking a beating, but they're dishing it right back. And personally, as a replacement for um, its predecessor Last Stand, I I, I like that. I'm not a fan of cards that trigger on death. It's beneficial when it does happen, and it is going to happen, but I'd rather have cards that will help me keep my units alive. And this card is going to help do that because you're, you're going to take hits. 
And you're, if you survive that, then you're going to be able to do it back. It's kind of combining the best of art with theory and final stand together. And if you do fail that morale test, you're doing more wounds. If you pass it, you can combine it with other cards in the deck. And as you mentioned, they are all reactive. And that's what Baratheons are supposed to be. They're supposed to be that faction where they get hit, they're going to hit you back, they're going to do something back to you. And all these cards are now playing more off of that theme, whereas previously they were just, most of them were required to activate while in You're kind of cutting in and out. We can still hear you, but we can still hear you. It's just going like really quiet and then normal uh, back and forth. I will see if I can't fix that. Sound pretty good now. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely Uh, agree. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think I can end on that note. I, that's pretty much how I feel about it. You know, the name, but again, it's more about what the ability does. It was a powerful card, but its trigger was unfortunately terrible. I didn't like it. Um, it came at a terrible price. The new version, it allows you to react without the cost of losing a unit or kind of giving you that, oh, a unit's dead, but I guess I'll do this. Because sometimes you're going to have a unit that's just not going to hit back very hard. You know, you, you're going to waste it on wardens, and you're going to waste it on a bad situation. Yep. Yeah, I and this card is so good in some cases that, you know, this is, this is why we talked about in the Lannister uh, reveal that, you know, a lot of people look at Tyrion for five points, uh, the NCU, and you know, they're like, ah, I don't know, he was arguably just as good at four points, you know, with his current 1.6 abilities. It's cards like this that you're really going to want that automatic counterplot when you need it. Granted, it's once per game, but, I mean, this card can change the game. Like, you could think you're charging in and obliterating a unit, and then instead, you know, like in Justin's case, you know, just have your own unit just get wiped out. Could you imagine if in that game Brett ran Tyrion? I don't know if he did or not. Uh, but if he did, you know, I'm assuming he didn't have uh, the... He already used the ability. But if he was able to counterplot this card, uh, Justin, what do, would, you, would you say the game would have turned quite a bit differently? I, my laughing would have been a different type <laughs> of laughing. Oh, I would have been <laughs> laughing in sadness. And he would yeah. be the exact opposite. He'd be <laughs> laughing in happiness. Exactly. Uh, so I know. It's, yeah, I would have. So I know, like that's kind of off topic, but I just want to bring up that point. Uh, you know that Tyrion is going to be gold. Uh, I know it's off topic of Baratheons, but that I'm just speaking to how dangerous Final Strike can be. Uh, and I know pretty much every other faction is not going to really have an answer to this, but. Uh, it's just something to watch out for and to always kind of be expecting um, for those big plays. Uh, next up, we and lastly, for the main deck, we have Oath of Duty. Uh, this one, I would have to say I love the title. Um, I like the title for their, this card because it's the card that does attach. Much in the same way, you know, they, the um, Night's Watch have the vows. You know, this is an oath. You know, it's something that, makes sense that it would attach to a a unit. This is their start of any turn card. Target one uh, friendly combat unit and attach this card to them until the end of the game. 
When a friendly infantry or cavalry unit is destroyed, place one order token on this card. While this card has a token, the attached unit gains. This unit suffers minus one wound from failing panic tests. And while you control the crown, each time this unit performs a melee attack, the defender gains one condition token. So it's essentially similar to fire the burns against the cold while attached, uh, much like that vow. But the minus one uh, wound for failing a panic test, I mean, if you attach this to a unit that has a uh, stagnite noble, you have a, even if you fail, you have a 66% chance of not even taking damage, assuming your opponent has no buffs to the damage for uh, panic tests. But, I mean, that's huge. That's you know, knowing that you, you know, still have a decent shot of passing the panic, and then even if you fail, you then have another really good shot of not taking any damage. I mean, this card, uh, you know, has no way to fall off. Granted, you're going to have to wait for a unit to die to trigger it. Um, it's just nice, as we've talked about with every other uh, episode about the reveals, that, you know, changing all their cards to start a turn to just get it out of your hands so you don't have these dead cards. Uh, it's just, it's going to be amazing. Uh, Tony, what do you think about this one? Yeah, um, I definitely agree. I I like it a lot, personally. Um, it's not my favorite card in the deck, though. And well, I'm pulling up here. And that's because I'm not really sure I understand it. The, the mechanics of these new cards. I've seen a lot of them in there, and it talks about it gains a token. Um, when that token is expended, is that, how exactly does that work? Works uh, if you could explain to me. So basically, uh, let's see, attached, does it have a range? No, it's just, so basically, it says place one order token. So it's the fact that it's an order token doesn't matter. It's not a real order token. It's just for... Uh, to show you that there's a token on it, much in the same way that like an NCU might have a, an order token, but it's not an order. So mm-hmm. instead of like having a when your unit is destroyed card and then play it and then get an effect, this one will allow you to play it at the start of any turn to attach it to a unit of your choice. And then when any uh, infantry or cavalry unit in your army dies, you'll get to act, essentially activate the card. And when activated for the remainder of the game, you'll gain minus one wound from failing panic tests and then being able to throw out condition tokens if you control the crown every time you attack. Um, so it's just like okay. a permanent buff that has to wait to activate as soon as something of yours dies. Okay. Not to explain because the thing that was hanging me up was the it being an order token. I wasn't sure if it was you get one of those abilities per game, like you're using an order on a, on a unit's ability. Um, oh, but you're yeah, saying yeah, that it's gotcha. indefinite. Okay, yeah, well, it's, uh, that definitely does, changes it, the game. Yeah, it's just essentially saying you need one thing to die to get a token on this card. That token isn't an order, so you're not expending it. It's just on there to represent that the card is active. Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, I, I always like losing one less model from a panic test because I seem to fail them at the worst times. And when I fail them, I fail them good. <laughs> and <laughs> being able to really have these cards that not only give you bonuses for passing morale tests, 
they can also help you give you a little bit of cushion from failing those those panic tests, especially considering the fact that they've reduced the amount of wounds that you already take. And I like that mechanic. And as far as the second ability, back up again. Yes, um, it just plays off of more of the condition tokens, and I really do like that about that. The how the condition tokens are playing a bigger part within the faction, within just the core faction. Before, I felt if I wanted to throw out a lot of tokens, I mentioned it. You know, you really wanted to play Stannis. Um, you have the Red Priestess, and he has just got a lot of things that can do it. Now you have a lot more of that built into the core deck. So if you want to play Renly Loyalty, you have a lot of great commanders on that side as well. Being able to also really control the condition token field is going to be really helpful, I think, in a lot of cases and really play more strongly off of the fact that it's a reactive faction. You're going to want your opponent to have these condition tokens because you're going to be hitting them back or they're going to be hitting you and you're going to want cushion from that. And this cushions you from both panic tests and it also just helps you dish out more tokens to either disrupt them or just help yourself. Yep. Uh, so we are getting close to the end and I know we still have all the commanders to go so we'll have to speed up through uh, the last of this uh, a little bit so, so we can squeak it all in there. Uh, so we'll end uh, off on you, Joe. What do you think of this before we jump into the commanders? Yeah, I'll, I'll, knowing that we're running out of time, I'll try to keep it quick. Um, Oath of Duty, I love the title, as you said, Dave. Uh, it's another case for me of, like, I don't know if I wanted it on this card. I, I love having it be a Stannis card. I'm glad to see that it's still here. I don't have a problem with it being in the main deck. Um, it could apply to Stannis or Renly, I guess, equally. Um, it felt kind of Stannis-y, so as someone who plays Stannis most of the time, uh, I like I like seeing it in here. It's like it's almost like getting a bonus Stannis card, so that's cool. Um, but, yeah, I might have called it, you know, Stormland Justice, and then we, we talked about renaming Baratheon Justice. Um, that that might have worked for me rather than uh, an Oath of Duty, but um, the, the token thing is great. It's seeing it across all the factions, um, playing at start of a turn, any turn, you, your opponent's going to see it be played. Everyone's, everyone knows it's there. Um, they can maybe plan around it, and you have to decide which unit you think it goes best with. And that minus one wound from failing panic tests, uh, we mentioned earlier, that'll, that'll combo with the, the Noble and maybe some other goodies that we haven't seen yet. Who knows? But um, I, I, I like it. And another crown, another crown-specific card um, to kind of even that out. Um, and token, more tokens are always good. As, as a Stannis player, looking at Stannis 1 here, right flare, um, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take the token. Exactly. And I think, uh, was it, uh, you know, knowing that you need the crown for so many effects, and they're really good effects, you know, I think as long as Littlefinger and Alistair don't change, I think uh, they're definitely going to be key components to a Baratheon mm -hmm. faction. Um, so jumping over to the commanders, we'll start with Renly first. Uh, so I would say Renly overall got better uh, as far as his attachment. Uh, he got he still has boldness and courage, embolden and uh, loyalty. Renly boldness and courage I feel like got uh, a lateral change. 
So now it's only plus one attack die when at full ranks, otherwise plus one rank. Uh, but it works for ranged attacks now rather than just melee. And then as Bolden is uh, every friendly unit within short gets plus one to morale tests, which means it will also work on his own unit now. So I think because of that, uh, you got the lateral change and then that slight buff to giving it to his own unit. I think he just, as far as the attachment, just got barely better. Um, so for this uh, to kind of get through Renly a little quicker, I'll read all the cards and then I'll go through each of you guys to kind of just give your overall thoughts between the attachment and then the cards all together. Uh, so we got Wealth and Charisma. When a friendly NCU claims a zone, replace that zone's effect with Choose One. Restore three wounds total across any number of friendly combat units. Or remove all condition tokens from each friendly combat unit for each token removed, deal one enemy engage with that unit one wound. Then we have younger, bolder, and far, far more comely. When a friendly unit passes the morale test, attach this card to that unit until Renly Baratheon's unit is destroyed. While attached, this unit is in long range of Renly. That unit's morale attacks gain plus one attack die. And then also has the uh, other ability of start of any friendly turn, you can draw a tax card simply because if friendly is already dead, this card would have no uh, effect to be used. So it gives you that nice uh, ability to get rid of it and redraw. Uh, and then lastly, have they will make me king. Start of a friendly turn, choose one, draw one tactics card. Uh, or target all friendly units in short range of friendly Brathlane's unit, they may... Uh, restore one wound, or target all enemies in short of Renly's unit, and they suffer one wound. So, um, again, it gives you that option to draw a card. In this case, it, they didn't need like its own trigger or effect because it had start of any friendly turn already. Uh, so they just added it as one of the options rather than making it its own little bracket at the bottom. Uh, so I would say my initial thought of him, his attachment got uh, much more useful. His cards in general got less useful. And um, Younger Boulder, the plus one attack die could be huge, especially because, you know, getting extra attack dice is not something that you're going to see a lot. So it, that is kind of nice, but it is still just plus one. Uh, so yeah, I think the Wealth and Charisma, the th Restore Three Wounds, is eh, like three wounds, you're replacing a zone to do it. Uh, so I don't know, even if it is across multiple units, I guess with uh, Rose Knights, it could be really damaging. Uh, the remove all condition tokens from clean slate. You know, you just like, oh, all, all tokens gone. If you're facing another Baratheon player and they just place like 10 tokens on you, I mean, this, that in itself is amazing. And then they will make me king. Um, again, not like super huge. Uh, I mean, I guess you could start a friendly turn, pick this heal, uh, uh, a couple Rose Knight units, one wound each, doing some damage, and then immediately take your NCU to take a spot and replace that spot, and then heal some more wounds, triggering another effect uh, for their ability to deal damage. So uh, I think there's some combo potential there, but overall... I don't know, I feel like his cards definitely got weaker. Um, we'll start off with you, Justin. How, what's your kind of take on Renly as a whole? 
Uh, I, I think he mostly stayed the same. I barely even see the weaker. Like, he looks pretty much the same to me. He's going to play the same role. His card that I've always disliked is still there, <laughs> uh, which is the replaceable spot for three wounds. I just don't think it's a very efficient card. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing special about him, in my opinion. Um, well, about his cards. I've always liked the idea of using him, because Renly's one of my favorite characters, uh, and I think you're on point when you say he got kind of a little lateral buff. You know? Um, that's pretty much it, yeah. Uh, Joe, how about you? What's your overall thoughts of Renly? Uh, well, I'm, I'll, just to save us time, defer to Tony. Um, I, I've never played Renly. I'm a 100% Stannis player. Uh, I don't go anywhere near that usurper. So, you know, he's played him, he's played him before. So just save us a little bit of time here. You, I'll just, rather than, you know, run my mouth off on Renly, who I've never played, I, I'll defer to Tony. But this is your opportunity to run Renly's name through the dirt, and you're passing it over. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's catty. I don't need to do that. It speaks for itself. So, um, and, and it's also Justin's favorite character, so there's no need to no need to dive into that. We don't have the time. So um, you can, we can switch gotcha. over to Tony. All right, well, Tony, what do you think? Well, that works because while I am a Stannis lover lore-wise, I – mechanic-wise in the game, do favor Renly's play style because I feel that in the current build, it plays more to the Baratheon's overall core play style. And (laughs) Renly's overall commander, uh, initially I thought he was a much easier to play commander um, out of the box. Stannis required a lot more tact. You had to think harder to use his cards and be more successful with them. And I agree the increase to him is it's very minor. It allows him to use it as, as a ranged attack or use it at ranged, and he can give himself a morale boost, which I do like. Moving on to the cards, however, I love Wealth and Charisma. Being able to remove all the condition tokens and deal a wound to an enemy engaged is just great, uh, and which is the card that plays well off of the core card, which also helps get rid of tokens, as well as the younger, bolder, far more calmly. I've never really been much of a fan of cards that require a commander to be alive, but I do love the card draws. Um, I love that new mechanic of being able to just get it out of your hand if you don't need it anymore. Um, I never really had much success with either of those cards, but I feel like it's just one of them ones that just, I don't know. I I haven't played Rinley himself in a while, so again, I, I guess I will end there. I like the wealth and charisma. That's probably my favorite thing about him. Yeah, I agree. So I'll end, I'll end it by saying that uh, for Renly, I do like that they have uh, when for him when he dies, uh, you know, or his cards revolving around him, his abilities revolving around him. It'd be kind of nice to see uh, Wealth and Charisma be relatively the same, but somehow revolve around him uh, and then have just the draw card if he's dead. Uh, And that's because just in the books, you know, the fact that after he dies, everyone just, you know, they either flock to Stannis or they go, like, back to their castle and, you know, just, like, lock the doors. Uh, So I feel like everything revolving around him just seems very thematic uh, to his character in the book. So, 
Uh, overall, I, I still like him, even though I feel like his cards got weaker. Uh, Wealth and Charisma gained a crazy, crazy strong uh, remove token ability, and then uh, fairly lateral slight buff change to his attachment, and both very great abilities. Um, it'll be interesting to see all the different units that come out that Boldness and Courage can combo with, especially uh, with that ranged attack uh, addition to Boldness and Courage. Uh, with that said, we're going to jump over to Stannis, the last of like the tactics card portion, and then if we have time, we'll talk about the Kingsguard, or the Kingsman. Uh, so we have Stannis Baratheon. So his Attachment card got much different. His tactics cards relatively the same. Uh, with that said, he has the order adaptive planning. Start of any turn, target one unit in long range. Replace one condition token of that unit with any other condition token. So that doesn't mean your own units. You could turn one token to another. Um, and then he also has order tar mark target start of a friendly turn target one enemy in line of sight in long range they become vulnerable so essentially you could go do it uh, start of your turn make someone vulnerable but knowing that you have a ton of vulnerable already in your tactics cards you could then start of your opponent's turn turn that vulnerable into a weaken or a panic uh, and then he has loyalty stannis uh, he has will of the one true king amazing card that has always made me want to run three NCUs for Stannis, which is when a friendly NCU claims the crown, replace that zone's effect with one enemy combat unit becomes panicked, one becomes vulnerable, and one becomes weakened, meaning you could do three separate units or put them all on one unit or however you see fit. Uh, then he also has Harsh Conditions, which is his newer card. Uh, start of any turn, target one enemy unit, Remove any number of condition tokens from that unit. For each token removed, the enemy loses one ability until the end of the round. Uh, and tactical approach, start of, uh, start of the round, target one friendly combat unit, attach this card to that unit until the end of the game. While attached, each time this unit performs a melee attack, after rolling attack dice, you may expend one condition token from the defender. If you do, this attack deals D3 wounds. If this targets Stannis' unit, you deal three wounds instead of rolling. So my initial thoughts of him, somehow they made him better. Like, I know a lot of people had mixed feelings about his, start of, his current starter box version. Personally, he's my favorite... Uh, commander out of every option between all of the uh all the hero boxes and everything the you know i know i wasn't the one in to invent it but i i feel like i was one of the first people to shed light to like the community about putting stannis and bastards girls uh with the combo of tactical approach and then uh running three ncus allowed me to take the crown and replace it much easier and throw three tokens on something now combo is even necessarily needed. I mean, if you put them in Bastard Scrolls who've been revealed that automatically make who they shoot at vulnerable, and then he can make something uh, vulnerable as well, uh, plus tactical approach, plus we haven't seen uh, Sharice and Shireen, uh, if they still do extra wounds when you attack. I mean, you can still pull off the combo and just obliterate anything 
uh, with sheer, num- sheer number of auto wounds. Granted, you you know if Sharice and Shireen are the same as they are now or similar, you're going to be taking wounds back, but that's not as big of a deal on a Bastard Scroll unit that you know is six six four for melee and four 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 for ranged. Uh, so. I absolutely love the change. Um, I am not... Oath of Duty was nice and all, but it was probably my least favorite of his three cards. And his new card, uh, Harsh Conditions, amazing. Uh, Compared to what we've seen from all the different factions and everything that's been revealed, taking away abilities is not easy to do. And uh, let's say you don't need to do your adaptive planning or mark target and you want to play this harsh conditions to take away a defensive ability uh, from your opponent, you can take that ability away, charge in with this combo, and then just, you know, avoid any, you know, huge, uh, like, defensive ability that could ruin your combo. Um, And it's one ability for every token you remove, so that's also huge. Uh, granted, you can only have three tokens at any one time, but you have so many ways to add tokens that you could, at different steps, that you could easily remove um, remove tokens, to remove abilities, and then have more tokens to then use for tactical approach. So ab- overall, absolutely love the change to Stannis. Um, somehow they made what, in my opinion, was an amazing commander, even better, and rightfully so, because Stannis is the rightful heir, uh, even over those John lovers, because, you know, uh, the Targaryens were unthroned, so they no longer have a claim, in my opinion. Stannis is, uh, is, is the rightful heir, because uh, as far as we know, bastards uh, don't, uh, don't get any claim unless they're res- recognized. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, with that said, we'll jump over to you, Justin, because I know you probably got to go soon. Uh, what do you think of Stannis here? Uh, I mean, pretty much what you said. Uh, I always thought he was great. As we all know, I love Bastard Girls more than any unit in the game, and he's amazing. And um, I only tried the combo once because I don't really like playing Stannis. I might have failed at it, but I recognize that it's extremely <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, I don't really... Yeah, nothing Nothing good happened that day. That's That's all that I know. Um, but yeah, I, what you said, he's really good. Oath of Duty was great, but Oath of Duty didn't work that much. Um, so as, if, if you're a good commander facing Stannis, you really got to worry about taking six auto wounds from Bastard Drills. Definitely just keep out of their range and hope they don't get a shot off on you. Good luck. Well, they no longer get the three auto wounds for the shot, but if Sharice and Shireen are the same, it'll be D3 for the shot. Then it'll be D3 for the attack plus auto three if you remove a condition token. And then uh, plus you still got to take two panic tests. You still got all the attack dice. Like it's, and then if you had another token on there to take off for the tactical approach, you then still have a vulnerable from the Bastard Scrolls. Uh, yeah, in a lot of cases, it's a dead unit. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Tony. Mm-hmm. Tony, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I'm on board. I love Stannis. Um, as I said, lore-wise, he's my favorite, and the in-game models for him are just beautiful. Um, and overall, mechanic-wise, I agree. He's got an 
great improvement. He seems very thematic. I Stannis is reclaimed as this tactician, this military strategist, and looking at his abilities, you look at his upgrades, he took away critical blow, but there's so much that you can do with this. Um, the first ability start of any turn, you can target any unit. Um, as you said with the Bastards girls, if, say, you're about to engage a unit that's already vulnerable, you can change that vulnerable to a weaken and then vulnerable them with the Bastards girls. Um, or alternatively, you could stop yourself from being weakened if you know that you're going to attack, but your opponent wanted to stop that. It offers a lot of counteractive and just a lot of counterplay is what I'm trying to say. And I love that about Stannis is he's just very tactical. Moving on to Will the One True King, um, I see that as a perfect alternative for taking the crown. You're going to be playing against um, opponents who are going to have high morale armies sometimes, and so the crown's not going to be useful to, for its ability, but you're going to want it in general because a lot of the cards give you bonuses for having it. This is a great way to take it, but still have an ability that, or an effect that's going to really benefit you. With Harsh Conditions, like you said, it's a great card. Um, any Anything that can take away abilities, like you said, especially now in 1.7, it's a lot harder to do, and that means that cards and abilities that can take away abilities are just going to go a long way. And like you said, they can take away defensive capabilities, they can um, prevent an offensive. And then with Tactical Approach, the one card that they did keep, it, it's a signature. You're dealing those... D3 wounds, or just those three wounds already, Bastards, Girls, or just anything can be beneficial from this that you have Stannis in. And I just love the approach they're taking with him. I love the changes, and I think he's going to see a lot more play from a lot more people. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that would be like the bane to about this combo Harsh Conditions gives you the perfect answer for it, which is uh, uh, the Bloody Mummer Skirmishers. I mean, minus one to hit and Counter-Strike. I mean, you have a six-up save with those Bastard Scrolls. Being able to charge in, you know, turn your own... Let's say you, they weakened you so that you couldn't charge in because now you're hitting on fives... Or, sorry, uh, fours with your Bastard Scrolls and, uh, for the minus, and then you're already weakened... So they can make you reroll. Now you could be like, all right, start of the turn, um, turn that weaken token, or play harsh conditions and uh, you know turn just turn off, disrupt and or uh, counter strike if you have two tokens on them, um, and then just charge in, do this combo and melt the unit that they thought was you know because pretty much all their defensiveness comes from those two abilities. Uh, and now you can charge in with your super glass cannon and just obliterate them before they knew what hit them. Uh, Joe, what do you think about uh, Stannis? Well, I, I ran I ran Stannis a, a lot um, just because I was into the character, and he, he had some issues. Um, he sort of had a, con, a conflicted, um, sort of almost like a, you know, he had a, a, an issue where he was wasn't sure what he wanted to be, what, whether he wanted to be something in the mild control or whether he wanted to be aggressive. And it seemed like they kind of made him into more of an aggressive um, commander in the in the earlier version with the critical blow that his attachment had. And now they've sort of decided that they really want to lean into something more specifically, so he was less confused on what he was supposed to do on the battlefield, uh, which thematically I think also makes sense. 
um, now he's you know this token condition token master manipulator um, and master tactician, which he was supposed to be. And but in leaning into that, they kind of dialed back on his uh, his sort of aggressive nature. Uh, and so that kind of makes tactical approach for me a little bit curious. Uh, I love the card. Everybody loves the card. You, Dave, you did in fact champion the old bastards girls combo. So, you know, you, I can give you that, um, you know, you speak truth. Um, and I never played that. I don't actually own the unit. Uh, and everyone was like, Oh, you got to get the unit. You got to get the unit. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know, so it always it always felt like it always felt like well, I'm supposed to get this unit that's so good with Stannis, but it's like it felt wrong for me as like a sort of a thematic casual player to have this 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 Bolton attack dog unit and put Stannis in it, and, and it's like I I wanted that to not be the case so bad, and then when they revised the Bastards Girls and they got even better for the same you know for the same cost, it was like. And seeing this card in here, it's like, oh, they're still – it's almost like they're answering to that combo that you kind of champion. And they're like, yeah, you can still do it. But now that Stannis is a little bit less aggressive, I, I personally will be kind of looking for a potential alternative unit to put him in, maybe put a Red Priestess in the Bastards Girls or, or make a proxy unit that isn't literally the Bastards Girls but use those rules kind of thing. Mm. And, you know <laughs> – I, the tactical approach one's kind of a, a weird one, but relative to his other two cards. But I, I still like it. I see a lot of use for it. It's going to do some great work. Uh, Harsh conditions is uh, it's so Stannisy in theme, and uh, it, it's it's a killer card. It's something that we didn't really have the ability to do before. And I might have again going on with the whole titles thing. It looks like they sort of borrowed this from 1.61 True King. It was a harsh decisions, and so that this reminds me of that. Though I might have called this one unrelenting foe instead of harsh conditions, because um, it's taking away the enemy's sort of abilities and kind of uh, a little bit of their 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 will to fight. So you know, I think unrelenting foe would have been a cooler title for that. But again, these are just minor my minor um, you know little digs I'm taking at the titles here. It's kind of inconsequential, but uh, Will of the One True King has always been great. Uh, for me, it, I don't know why I never seem to draw it. Like, every game I play, it was always at the bottom of the deck, and you know, I, I played, I would get one of them per game, and it'd be like, oh, nice, and I would try to get it in there, and I hope that doesn't keep happening. That's just a that's just a personal issue that I've had with it, just from the luck. You know, if, if Tony's rolling ones, I'm just never drawing Will of the One True King. Um, but <laughs> that's I, love. I love I love that. I mean, it's it's the token thing for Stannis, you know. And because he his he's got an engine now for throwing out tokens and changing them with his attachment. And so that's kind of why when I see Tactical Approach and the Bastards Girls, they're a, a squishy unit glass cannon. I'm thinking I kind of need Stannis to stick around more. And that's a little risky with that six plus armor save. Um, and when he in that demo game I mentioned earlier with the two friends, I introduced him to the game there playing Renly and Stannis. Um, Stannis died kind of early, and it kind of fell apart a little bit for him because the abilities were gone through the attachment. He was dead, and so once again thematically it kind of makes sense because I mean Stannis isn't around anymore. Um, you know, they're gonna be armies gonna be hurting a little bit. So I I would tend to want to put him in something a little bit more defensive perhaps that can still do some work with the tactical approach but I don't think I'd put the eggs in that basket but I haven't quite seen the unit that I'd want to put them in yet so maybe that'll be one of the newer ones not sure 
Yeah, that was that's a good point because in the starter box it was like, well, stagnites are so expensive, uh, so do I put them in there? Granted, they'll start with the critical blow. Do I put them in sentinels? But sentinels are you know, with that 7-up morale, just very flimsy. Or to put them in Wardens, which I just don't feel like they're going to get, like, that enough punch to make it worth it. So uh, now I think he's a lot more versatile, in, uh, especially with some of the unit changes that we've seen. And uh, I think, uh, you know, another thing that's going to be huge for Baratheons is wanting that crown now because as I mentioned in other shows that uh, I think a very very strong uh, thing will be facing three NC Walder lists uh, with them if you don't take the crown they could be first every round well the fact that you want the crown and in some cases running three NC lists for Will of the One True King uh, you know, you're going to be hurting those Walder lists quite a bit by taking the crown, being able to replace it with amazing ability, and covering it up so that they can't be first player, and having three NCUs so that way every other round Walder isn't going to be able to act or isn't going to be able to take a spot. He'll still activate, but um, but I also wanted to mention the combos that if you have Oath of Duty on Stannis's unit, every time they perform a melee attack, they're going to place a condition token. Then combining with tactical approach, pra- uh, placing Baratheon Conviction on some Bastard Scrolls, they have a five-up morale, last I saw. Uh, and that's probably going to stay on, meaning that they're going to um, always pretty much be max dice because uh, the, the way that they degrade on melee. And then on top of that, if you have the crown already, you're re-rolling um, any attack dice. So that's not just even melee. That's for their bow. Uh, and then on top of that, ours is the fury, plus one to hit. Uh, two, you know, your attacks are hitting on twos. You can give them sundering for their uh, melee. I mean, the potential for that unit. And then to end on it, um, as you were mentioning, uh, Joe, that like a conversion, what I totally plan to do when they come out with Lightbringers, I'm swapping out those Bowmen for Lightbringer models. I'll probably do like six dogs and then five Bowmen and Stannis. And then one of the five dogs, I'm going to find like some big pit bull with like a crown on his head and he'll be like the second model next to Stannis. That way if like every model but those two die, you can still show, it still shows that it's a Bastard Scroll. Whereas if if you put a Lightbringer as the second model and there only those two are left, Stannis and that, you might think it was Lightbringers. So uh, that's totally the conversion I, I plan to do. Not that that's no, like that's, a huge conversion, but no, that's I, I fully support that. I actually have some big ideas <laughs> for a potential conversion for that that I, I can't possibly talk about until I have some pictures to show. But um, yeah, yeah that, I mean, having Stannis have the crown for one of his cards, um, you know, plus we talked about earlier that the, the the faction favoring the crown in the new cards just a little bit more. It's just so thematic to him because he feels the crown is owed to him. So having that symbol be a little bit, little bit more important for Stannis is yep. it, it just works for this theme. So it's awesome. Yep, I agree. And uh, with, to end on that note, because we only got about five minutes left before uh, the show gets angry at us. Uh, Overall, I think uh, amazing changes. I know we didn't really get to talk about the Kingsguard, or King, I keep calling Kingsguard, the Kingsmen. Uh, to give you the, listening a brief uh, rundown of them, uh, amazing unit. They are five move, a four up defense, 
six up morale. Their attack profile is three up to hit, seven, six, four. They have an order, King's Blade. After this unit is attacked, search your tactics deck or discard pile for one hours of the Fury, add it to your hand, then shuffle your tactics deck. And then they have the order to the last. When this unit is destroyed, this unit performs one morale test. On a uh, success, it is not destroyed, but remains in play with one wound, then becomes panicked and vulnerable. So amazing unit i think they are seven points uh stannis baratheon loyalty uh it'll be awesome to kind of see how the you know that unit performs uh with some of these combos ours of the fury is no longer the free attack obviously as we've discussed so now that unit essentially is going to be getting uh and as long as you activate after you're attacked uh plus one to hit sundering or vicious of your choice so always try to factor that in when figuring out if they're worth their seven points because uh, you know, you're pretty much going to be a three up to hit with seven, six, four, um, that has, uh, either two up to hit or sundering or vicious or multiple of those combos, especially if it's later game and you wait to activate them as one of the more later, uh, abilities, you can maybe even, um, try to get uh, breathing conviction on them. So that way they're always plus one rank, uh, and then possibly getting two or three of these abilities once you've had time to claim the zones. So, uh, yeah, with that said, uh, thank you guys for coming on. I know I, I wanted to get uh, your guys' thoughts on this. I'm sure you guys like it, um, uh, but time will tell because I haven't even tested these guys yet. So, uh, But I think they're going to be really good, and to the last, is I think it's going to be annoying, but not super crazy like we've seen in Night's Watch with their ability to just ignore the, pan or the tokens with their... Uh, card. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you guys for coming on. So uh, you know, I appreciate it because both of you guys are huge Baratheon players. Uh, Justin, thank you as well. Uh, it was a nice mixture of play styles and competitive, casual, uh, and Stannis Renly uh, opinions. Um, that said, uh, you know, for those that uh, don't already know, we do our show every other Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time and every other Sunday at 4 p.m. St uh, Central Standard Time, opposite week of the Tuesday show. And we, uh, if you can't make the live show, um, you can go on Discord and put your comments in there for us to react to uh, in, you know, for our live shows or even listen to us, our recorded show on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, uh, or you can go straight to Blog Talk Radio where we do the show from. Um, with that said, thank you so much for listening. This is Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.